welcome to the Creative Constitution podcast. Today I'm joined by a special guest, Jack Harvey, who is a director and has been making some amazing waves lately. Hello, Jack. Hello, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm super pumped. Mm. Well, today's episode is all about making fan films, which is an area I've always wanted to learn more about. Mm. We recently worked together on the Halo fan film yes, project. Yes, we did. Monolith. Yes, Which indeed. is live on YouTube. Exactly. Yeah. Go and watch it after this podcast. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself, Jack. How'd you get into it? Yeah, sure. So I started sort of filmmaking when I was still in high school. Um, I just started with friends and making little comedy skits and just fun little experimental sort of pieces. I probably didn't get into it professionally until after I moved to Brisbane after graduating. Mm -hmm. um, I attended film school for about a year until I decided it wasn't really for me. Um, and then I left to do it on myself, uh, on my own. And I've been doing little projects here and there ever since. Was Halo the first fan film that you made? Yes, it was. Um, it wasn't the first one I planned to make. So I originally started out wanting to make an SCP firm film, which is Secure, Contain, Protect, for those of you that don't know. Um, basically, long story short, it's a, a narrative online universe where it's parallel to Earth and there's like monsters and all sorts of paranormal sort of stuff involved with there, a bit of military stuff involved with that as well. So I wanted to make something around that. That sort of took a bit of a back burner for a few different reasons. And so I decided to do the next best thing, which was a Halo fan film, which awesome. is yeah something I've been really wanting to do for a long time. So why the Halo franchise? So there was a couple of reasons for that. First of all, from a personal standpoint, it's something that I'm very close to from my childhood. I played the games growing up. I played them with my brother. It's a really good bonding experience for us. So it's really been something that's close to my heart mm -hmm. from a guess more practical standpoint, there's already a pre-established fan base for that, that we can tap into, especially from a marketing perspective. So as long as we do it justice and yeah. we do something that's authentic, um, it's relatively easy to tap into that audience base. One of the biggest challenges I think as a filmmaker is getting your work to be mm. seen. So tapping into that existing audience must be a huge plus. It is a huge plus, but it was also a huge pressure, especially since there's certain studios that haven't really done it justice recently with their media productions. Um, so while we had that fan base sitting there, we needed to make sure that we were authentic and true to the source material. Otherwise, there's no point shoving something in people's faces only for it to be disingenuous and ultimately dissatisfy the fans yeah. um, because again we're fans first all of the people that's worked on the project has some connection to the games whether it's from outside experience or personal experience um, so we're all passionate fans of the game in some of in some way mm. uh, which definitely helped drive a lot of the authenticity in the project um, but again it's about uh, serving the greater fan base through what we're able to produce with the film, where did you feel the most pressure when it came to sort of giving the film justice and making sure that the universe sort of stayed true to the source material? Yeah, sure. I guess the biggest pressure would be the storyline, uh, especially when it came to writing the script, because it's really easy to have all of these super flashy visuals, really, you know, shot cinematography. All of the guys that were in the Spartan and ODST armors, they're all cosplayers who have been doing this sort of thing for years. So they're 
authentic outfits are yeah. really, really well put together. So there's no issues with that. The biggest pressure came from the story. And that was where we needed to really delve into the lore, delve into what has already been established, as well as using that, create some of our own lore to be used for later projects. Mm. Um, and that's where we really wanted to put our attention to for this concept short um, so that we could really nail it on the head and feel like it's really seated and immersed in the greater universe that Bungie and 343 have created. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Mm. When you were writing this script, did you do a lot of research or did you sort of tap into your 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 memories, your knowledge of the stories? What did you use to sort of guide your script making process? Yeah, sure. So I already, I'm a bit of a Halo nerd, so I know a decent amount already, which was pretty easy for me to understand where, thing, where things fit. Um, I did use a few different people who were a bit more well-versed in the knowledge than me to come on board and sort of fact check me and make sure that everything was up to scratch as far as the pre-established law goes, as well as I did read a lot of books, a lot of, played a lot of the games again and a few more times to really get immersed in that feeling and the vibe of the universe just make sure that everything was as true as we could make it mm. especially when it came to the new bits of lore that we were adding in with new characters such as your character amanda jazz's character briggs alan's character um i've forgotten his name everett there you go <laughs> um yeah so we really wanted to make sure that as far as the story goes that those were squared away and we knew as soon as that was squared away everything else would be relatively easy that's that's great mm. and so the script is written and you now had to sort of put it all together you were in pre-production how did you go about sort of finding your crew and i asked this because you did it all by yourself yeah was there a reason for that how um, did that come about Finding the crew was both difficult and easy at the same time. Cast-wise, it was relatively easy because I already had an idea about who I wanted to be involved with the project. As I mentioned, all of the guys in their own suits were from the, in on the project from day one. Um, so it wasn't any issue finding people with those particular props and stuff because they all had their own weapons or their own armor, spare armor, even if we needed it. And they were happy to make new pieces of... Uh, equipment that we needed for mm. characters, which was really, really instrumental to making sure that the pre-production process all the way to post-production was as smooth as possible. Um, and again, with you guys um, and the other cast members, except for maybe Alan, I had picked from the day one. Alan came in towards the end uh, to help out with locations and he was he already had acting experience and he was such a really passionate person that I wanted mm. to involve him in the future as well. So that's how he came about. But awesome. again, I had you guys picked from the beginning, which from working with you on previous projects. So from that standpoint, it was relatively easy. Um, the, the cosplayers, did you know them from the past? Did you meet, meet them at a Comic-Con? Like, how did that come about? Yeah, so I went to uni with one of them, um, and that's how we got connected. And then he invited me out to a con a few years ago um, to come and just take videos and candids of them as they're walking around. Yeah. Um, and that's how I met the other guys. And we've sort of been umming and ahhing about a project for a while, and that's how we got connected back up again when Monolith started becoming a bit more of a real thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we've all become really close and connected and really passionate about continuing the story. 
um, yeah, so that's how I came about them. That's great. With the, the, the sort of the cinematography and, and the lighting and all that, you did most of that yourself. Mm. Was there a reason behind that to be more compact? For the for this concept short, I really wanted to make sure that we were focusing on the narrative mm -hmm. and the visuals were um, the visuals were complementing that that story that I was really wanting to tell for this concept short. So a lot of that came down to wanting to make sure that we were putting the money that we had, which was not very much, into the areas that it really needed to be in, which was props making sure the cast and crew were happy as well as any sort of visual effects and help that we might need afterwards. Yeah. So from a financial standpoint, it wasn't really viable to find anyone of quality to really help out with the cinematography as a se separate asset. Yeah. I already had some prior knowledge in cinematography and it's something that I've been wanting to have a bit more of an experiment with for myself anyway. So I decided to take up the mantle on that. Mm. Um, it does help having a, a good camera to help yeah. counteract some of those weaker points for you. Of course, it's not about the gear. It's about how you use it. Come on, um, name drop it. Oh, using an FX3 for most of it, which is phenomenal camera. If you can get your hands on one, I recommend it. Well, the um, creator was shot on that. The creator was shot on that. Yeah. So there's no excuses to not be able to make something cool. Well, there's also no excuse uh, for filmmakers that want to make something. To, 100%. To go and just shoot it. I no. mean, Jack did it all by himself. Have a look at the short film. It looks amazing. I yeah. mean... That was shot on very, very minimal budget, you know? Most of it was shot in my backyard. There you go. Literally. So and it looks so good. Yeah. It's all just locations were through word of mouth, just people that we knew. Most of them happened in backyards and free public access places like national parks and forests yeah. and stuff. So it's all just readily available out there. It's just, it's up to you to try and find it for yourself. Um, you did have one very tricky location, which I think you got very lucky yes, with. Yes, I did. The so marine ship. The marine ship. So without saying too much, we had a, Alan was able to secure us a, a retired defense vessel to use for a lot of the interior stuff at the beginning and, and yeah. Cookie's uh, recruitment scene, which was very, very fortunate. Um, it looked a, it looked a million bucks. It did. It suited the, the vibe of the scene very well. Yeah. So we were very fortunate for that to come about. Um, yeah. And again, that's just purely I had no prior contact with Alan. I had been speaking to him on and off for like a year, talking about working together about something. Um, and this just came up. I shot him a message. Hey, I'm looking for something to fit this vibe. Do you know anywhere? He came back to me with this. So it's all about just getting in touch with people who might know. Yeah. You don't get what you don't ask for. That's so it. yeah. it's just using what's available to you. That's right. All right. Let's, so let's time skip to the making of the actual film. Mm. So you kept it quite small throughout, but obviously you had to balance quite a number of actors. Mm. And because you were the only person on set, there wasn't really an AD yelling at you or keeping keeping time. So how did you sort of navigate doing a bit of everything? Yeah, sure. So my first process was to get a shot list together and a storyboard. So I didn't storyboard the entire film. I storyboarded very specific sections that I wanted to make sure were exactly how I pictured them in my head so that I could use that as a reference point on the day. The shot lists, however, were really instrumental throughout the entire process mm -hmm. as purely an organizational tool and a time management tool for myself. So I did have a few helpers who weren't necessarily ADs. They were more so just people that would help me keep track of where we're up to chronologically throughout the day. Yeah. Um, and that enabled me to sort of do a bit of file shifting in my head 
to make sure that we were right. We've got this scene coming up. We just finished this scene. I can think how many steps ahead so I can time manage for that. Yeah. I was also very particular about what shots that I wanted beforehand. And this again comes back to storyboarding. So because of that, I already was going into the day without really thinking about umming and ahhing mm. which shot to take, whether I wanted a, a wide or a tight or something yeah. like that. I was like, no, I want this type of shot for this scene. And then we will switch it to this shot for this next scene. It's purely just time management and making sure that everything is structured beforehand. That doesn't work for everybody. It certainly was still, it didn't make anything, it made things easier for me on the day, but it certainly didn't make anything less stressful. It's purely just so that as a single run and gun person, yeah, it helped me organize myself. Yeah. Which makes everything a bit easier on the I'm day. I'm a big, so. big believer in storyboarding mm. and shot listing. I don't know how anyone could do it without it, to be honest. Even if you just have the bare minimum mm. and then you let your creativity take the lead for some of the extra shots or for the sure. coverage or whatever. But I just think it's it's like trying to build a house without anything, any yeah. blueprint, nothing. Well, even if you don't use it on the day, at least use it to organize your thoughts because it's going to help you visualize in some capacity what you are wanting for the shot. As well, if you are working with multiple crew, which for the next few films I'm aiming to, it helps you share your vision with them. Because yeah. even if you can't, even if you don't know a lot of the lingo, if you can't really, you know, communicate your thoughts verbally, which again is a probably another skill I'd recommend trying to brush up on, especially yeah. if you are in that director's position, having a visual aid is really helpful, not just for the AD, not just for the cinematographer, but any heads of department, because it allows them to say what you're wanting yeah, and then they can go away from that and do what they need to do mm. with a, a bit more of a clearer vision of what you're after. Yeah. So with the shots, did you take any inspiration from existing material that was out there? Like so any of the shows and I, I looked at a lot of the game cutscenes mm. for a lot of the Spartan specific, Spartan and ODST specific stuff. Um, I wanted to make sure that, again, it ties back into that overall narrative that we're wanting to stay true to. How have they positioned these characters in the game's cutscenes? Yeah. How do audiences already visualize them? How do they see them with photos and media and other stuff? I didn't allow it to influence too much, but it was definitely something that I took inspiration from. Mm. Certain films that I did watch were a lot of Roger Deakins shot stuff, Blade Runner 2049, and the cool. original Blade Runner was a very big inspiration purely from a world building aspect, yeah. as well as like we wanted a lot of, I like wide sort of environmental storytelling shots where mm. we're allowing the environment to to speak for yeah it's like a character exactly as well so there's a few shots in the film where cookie's having a bit of a dream sequence and he's yeah. running through this pine forest i knew that i wanted to really communicate a bit more of an alien unknown nerve-wracking sort of scene so a lot of that was wide shots of really empty spaces with just like tiny little character in it mm. really showing the landscape how yeah. alone he is and again that's all down to shots and then in post i used lens effects to communicate a bit more of like a disorienting feeling with a lot of the you can see in some of the frames there's really jagged sort of focus yeah uh, 
it's distortion like almost like, yeah, around distortion the, the, lens, the lens. So, yeah. so and that that's all digital. Yeah, that's all digital. Yeah. So that I was know just a when you were on decision. set, you didn't actually have a lot of in-camera tricks or anything. And even mm. the, the lighting, most of it is natural. Yeah. Which goes to show you really don't need a lot sometimes. No. Well, again, it... Halo as a story is not very science fiction for a science fiction show. It's really quite grounded in terms of being a military sci-fi yeah. universe, right? It's very much like humanity's technology has evolved pretty, I would say, reasonably considering how much it's evolved within our own time frame here for the only real aspect of science fiction that's really out there is the fact that there's aliens and extraterrestrial like threats and stuff. Mm. So it wasn't difficult to pass off a halo themed thing using really conventional grounded framing and lighting and uh, set pieces. Um, and we didn't really even need to put that much post effects in there either um yeah. the biggest shot that we had with the most effects was there's a first person view scene in uh the, yeah, the early HUD. parts of the film yeah. where he's got the hud and he's got the little um mini map and stuff which is a nod to the games yeah. but all that's just overlays and jpeg screen stuff that you can hook up and photoshop and just yeah did you make that over. yourself some of it i did um there's a bracket that i got online for just i found on uh, Google images and then I sort of pieced it all together but that mini map was custom because I wanted to make sure that it had the rotating radar and everything so and again yeah, that's, that's all just that's so cool that's photoshop and uh animated and after effects yeah so it's easy so I think one of the the things that that kind of filmmakers get stuck on is like if they want to make something that has a battle or mm. some sci-fi element that they're not going to be able to sort of find the tools to do so so they they just won't write it into their scripts mm. so for example like guns shooting or spaceships flying so how did you go about sort of navigating that and including those sorts of things in your film yeah for sure so I had an idea of what I wanted to include as far as all of the battles and any sort of sci-fi, uh, the ship elements and stuff. There was a few things that we ended up not having in the film, mm -hmm. which would have been a lot, it would have been very cool to see, but we weren't ready to attempt that at the moment due yeah. to budget. Um, what we did have was very grounded and very simplistic because we couldn't afford and this isn't necessarily a financial issue. It was more so a practical issue. Mm. We couldn't afford to have very big stunts, very big set pieces and um, combat sequences because we just did not have the budget all the time. Yeah. So a lot of that comes down to what do you really want to communicate and what is what are you willing to leave out of that scene so that you can communicate that through to the audience while still keeping it within the means of your abilities. Yeah. Um, it did help that we had, again, extras who were willing to go a bit above and beyond with selling a lot of the hits towards the end mm. um, and yeah, selling all of the stunts job. and stuff. They did a fantastic job. And again, that comes down to the people that you surround yourself with and the people that you choose to bring on. Those extras that were some of the people that get killed throughout mm. the film, how did, how did you find them? Were they friends? Were they friends Some, of the yeah. cosplayers? How'd you, how'd you source them? So a lot of them were part of the cosplayers Discord group, which is how we sort of put word out to them across the Discord group. Hey, we're looking for extras who 
have access to such and such equipment, yeah. such and such wardrobe. Can you are you available to come shoot for such and such day? Mm. That was where most of it came. And then there's a couple. Um, so there's a guy in the scene who gets his weapon taken by the white and red Spartan. And there was another guy that you shoot in the scene as well. Yeah. And those two I was friends with from playing gel ball as well. So, um, yeah, it's just about who you know again and we just – Well, you just put a casting call exactly. out. Yeah. So yeah. people can use Star Now. You can use 100%. Facebook. And, again, it doesn't have to be over Discord. If you've got access to a group already, just Instagram posts still work as well. Yeah. You know? And there's that many Facebook groups on um, about like Brisbane and Gold Coast actors, yeah, or wh- wherever you are. So it's exactly. like you've really got no excuse. <laughs> and people love being extras too. Yeah, like great. Uh, um, I don't struggle with extras. The biggest thing is scheduling for me. Mm. It's always one of the biggest challenges on set um, and getting to set really. Mm. So I wanted to ask you, what were some of the biggest challenges in creating this fan film? Biggest challenge was location and scheduling i would definitely agree with mostly because a lot of the main spartan guys were from a toowoomba so they already had mm. a bit of an impressive trek to get to brisbane north brisbane area gold coast area that where we yeah. filmed um also they're quite busy so we really had to plan months in advance and in some more flexible areas as well to enable them to really have the freedom to show up, do what they needed to do and then get out. Mm, um, yeah. Cause it's not comfortable for them to be in the suits for long periods of day while they were also doing a lot of physically, yeah. physically demanding and things. They were non-actors as no, well. They weren't. This is, this is literally all of them had no prior acting experience up until now. And this was the first ever like proper, Amazing. proper production which they they smashed it yeah they did um, so and they did all their own voice recordings and everything for that so they really brought their a game and it shows so some of them even used american accents 100 yeah so it's great it's very good no well I, I think it's a testament to what they've been able to do with cosplaying because it's like they're so used to being this character on in conventions and like online and stuff you know they used to they've got their own backstories for these characters and they know what these characters are better than some actors know characters that they're playing in films so it wasn't difficult to bring them on in terms of what it's like to put your headspace into the character Mm. most of the difficulties came through with just coaching them coaching them up a little bit on how to really tune that uh, knowledge and intimacy into a practical film applicable um, way that you can present yeah. yourself. Because yeah. again, they we had a tendency to go a bit overcompensating for the lack of acting experience, which is fine. Again, we're all we're all new at this, we're all learning. Yeah. Um, but then they tuned it down and brought and it, it back better. down and it was better. And again, that's something that they learned to do within the span of a couple of weeks. Yeah. So it's all just it's a learning process and a learning curve, but they were able to bring that prior experience to it, which really helped. That's right. And you split up the shoot sort of in almost two separate segments where they were filmed months apart. Um, why did that happen? So that happened because we didn't originally plan to had a whole bunch of extra stuff onto it. Yeah. So for the last probably really originally, there was only the section where they're on the planet 
They meet up with you. They have the combat scene and then it cuts. So yeah. all of the stuff with David O'Donoghue at the end doing his like super cool, creepy cult leader stuff, yeah. none of that happened. And then all of the stuff prior to that was never supposed to be there. Yeah. And that was all shot in March on one day um, in the blistering heat. And yeah. it was Crazy that was day. supposed to be it. That was it done and dusted, right? And it was really only halfway through this year that we decided we should probably – we, we, we have the time to add more stuff into this. What if, what would that look like and what would we add? And that's where I sort of approached you and, and Jazz, especially about his character, bringing him on board and saying, yeah. hey, we're, we're thinking about doing a bit more for this. Are you interested? And then it was just a matter of scheduling everything and getting it shot. Oh. And then within shooting. That the- was one, one day as well. For you guys, yeah. Yeah. So it was one day for you, and then we had another three days of filming with the rest of the Halo guys. So all in all, how many days of filming was the whole project? Um, five or six, I think. It's pretty damn amazing. Yeah, but that was like over the course of – we had one, one, one day in March, and then it was over a course of probably another four or five in – early September to October. What was the main driving factor for adding more scenes to it? Was it to sort of beef up your proof of concept? Like what, what was the main decision? for? Like well, why? it was, it was to beef up the proof of concept because looking at all the footage that we shot in March and I was also adding to this script that I want to make for like a full 40, 50 minute feature from this. Mm. Um, and all the Halo boys were also ha- having their input and saying, Oh, would it be really cool if we did this? And like, we're wanting to release this at the, at the end of the year. It's only like June, July. We've still got tons of time to add some more stuff to this yeah. if we want to. So it really was born out of just a fact that we had wanted to do more because we really enjoyed our process in March. We knew that we had so much more time that we could use to add to this overall story and to really flesh it out because the original thing was only going to be like five minutes. So mm. now it turned into 15 minutes with credits. Yeah. So yeah. it's just, it came out of just, we were excited and we wanted to do more. And so we did more. That's awesome, Jack. No, that's super, super mm. cool. So what was the main objective with creating this? Like, what did you want out of it? Was it for the fans, personal reasons, a bit of both? A bit of both. We wanted to make something for the fans, something that we could share with our friends and something that we could really just appreciate for ourselves. Um, I, as I said, I've been wanting to make projects for a while. I've been umming and ahhing about what specific project I wanted to make. I was planning the SCP film. That fell through. So I was sort of left with a bit of a creative hole that I wanted to fill. Yeah. That's where this Halo film came in. So we wanted to do something for ourselves, but mostly we wanted to do it for the fans just because there's so much of an outcry amongst the community for good quality media. Um in like both from a video game aspect, but also from a film and TV aspect. Yeah. Um, and that was a void that we really wanted to help f- fill. Um, and there's another team over in the States, November Black, that are doing their own Halo uh, film or TV show. I'm not quite sure um, what specifically they're doing, but they're, they're helping that as well. Um, and we've been talking as well, which has been good to sort of connect everything a bit more. That's great. Um, and then since you finished, you sort of had um, 
kind of interest from like a post-production company to help out yeah, so in some ways too. How did that come about and, and what were they doing? So throughout the course of the film, I was listening to, uh, throughout the course of working on the film, sorry, I've been listening to a few different Halo themed podcasts to immerse myself in a bit more of the the world while I'm, while I'm working on it. Yeah. Um, and one in particular podcast was this podcast called jump escape. Um, oh, it's the halo law podcast, but people, the people behind it are called jump, jump escape productions. Um, and they had a discord that I went on to started sharing some images and stuff that we had for the film already. Um, I believe I, this was around the time the trailer, the first trailer came out. So I posted that on there nice. and one of the guys who runs the podcast got in touch with me and was just like, Hey, what's this? What are you working on? How can I help? And we got to talking and turns out that he's got an audio production team um, and is actually working with a lot of the other halo content creators to make their stuff. So it's just like, how can we help? So they ended up getting brought on to do the entire audio work for the film, um, which was incredible. And they did it within two days, which was crazy. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So it was pretty, that's how that came about. And it's again, just word of mouth, putting ourselves out there, you know, we were sharing it, sharing it, sharing it around. We're extremely fortunate. Early stages too. So you didn't wait until it was finished and no. you know struggled through maybe sound and whatever and no so and then been just like hey, yeah. hey please watch my film because that's what most people do but mm. you were like in the middle of post production you were already mm. sharing so images and I like was I was about three quarters of the way through editing the final uh, piece um, and then part way through I had a bit of a break and. Added, edited together a few little short snippets that the other guys could post and one of those being the trailer. So yeah, it was about a month and a half out from being released. We still hadn't finished the the final edit mm. yet. That's when I sh- shared it around. So they came on within the last month really um, and that's how quickly things sort of escalated from Amazing. there. So And we were very, very fortunate to have talked to them at that time um, to yeah. get that out because I couldn't imagine the film being the way that it is without Jump Escape's involvement. Um, mm. So that was really good. What was it like when you were hitting publish on, on YouTube and all and on, on all the different channels and mm. just sort of waiting for what people It was nerve-wracking. It was crazy. <laughs> I mean, we'd, we'd been watch- – I'd watched it so many times up until that point. Yeah. And I could – recite nearly every line to you and <laughs> it was like something so personal the of editing exactly it was it was like it was something so personal and so just hard fought before all of the halo guys and i um and you and jazz and alan and david yeah. and all of those people that's worked on it it's like we've spent the most of the year either planning it or shooting and working on it um so to finally just hit the pu- publish button and premiere it at 10 o'clock at night on that Saturday it was just like it was a weight lifted uh, but at the same time it was like mm, all the all the anxiety starts to set in yeah so it's, and you're like oh what are people gonna think yeah is a franchise gonna come and sue I know. me yeah it's just like <laughs> am I gonna have a knock on my door the next day and yeah just be like you need to take this down now well that's how you know it's good yeah, that's true if you get a cease and desist letter that's, that's true. like uh that's oh we've, we've pissed someone go. off but Mi- we've made Microsoft an give me a cease and desist and that way I know <laughs> that we've done a good job that's right okay so what can people expect from you when it comes to the franchise now well what you're doing with sort of the halo con- like sort of the universe what is the plan now with the 
with the film. I know it's also getting some interest by a lot of other people too. Mm. So walk us through kind of what it's been like since the release and what can people expect yeah. from you in the future? So we sort of, before the release, we had a rough idea about what the sort of project scope we wanted to have. Um, we knew that we wanted to do a much longer feature length, like 45 to 50 minute length film based off of the concept short, or at mm -hmm. least taking most of the elements of story from the concept short. So we knew that we wanted to do that from the beginning. I guess after the reception and after all of that, we were like, well, there's actually some interest here. Mm -hmm. There's actually people interested to see more about the characters, more about the story. So what we'd started to do is really flesh out how many films we want to do, how many short films we want to do, um, and also how we can feasibly continue to produce these in a, in a long, long form sort of way. Um, so we have got multiple movies planned. Um, we've got okay. multiple short films planned around central characters and we have a full like MCU style timeline put together of what we want to do. So there is a lot of content to come and it's all going to happen regardless of whether we have funding for it or not. Yeah. Um, Cause again, the only reason Monolith was as short as it was, and it feels a little bit chaotic to me as well, that's only because half of it was such a last-minute yeah. decision to film it. But I would say that... It was self-funded as well, right? 100%. All yeah. of it was self-funded. All of it was out of pocket. Yeah. All of it was out of pocket. It was either time donation, volunteer work, or just out of pocket. Yeah. So it's like the only, I reckon Monolith could have been better if we had had a much bigger scope from the beginning. Mm. So now that we're going into that with the film next year that we want to do, yeah. which is the full length version of that, I'm sure that we can do something amazing. Oh, you always learn from, from the past. 100%. Every production, I feel like I get better every time. Mm. Um, and so I want to, to wrap up sort of, I'd love to know, what you would advise to a filmmaker that's maybe thinking about creating a fan film, whether that's of a DC universe, a Marvel universe, a video game, whatever. I'd love to know sort of what you would recommend now with all the knowledge that you have. Any, any major tips? I think outside of any, you can get filmmaking advice from just about anyone. There's tons of good examples on this podcast. Yeah. There's tons of good examples on YouTube. It's all out there for you to find. One thing I would advise if you're going to attempt an IP specific um, pre-established fan film within a specific universe is really get to know the universe that mm. you are wanting to create in. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of fan films that I've seen that have done a really good job filmmaking wise, but there might be one or two elements that are sort of lacking because they're not really authentic or not really driving the story through the pre-established universe, which again is fine if you want to create your own thing. Yeah. Um, and, but there still needs to be some sort of a connection to the IP that you're wanting to base it off of. Um, so I'd really just recommend read books, read, play the, if there's video games, play the video games, watch pre-established media that's canon to that universe. Yeah. Ask some people that are probably might be a bit better versed in the knowledge of the universe. If you've got a script already, send it to them, see what their thoughts are. But yeah, just really immerse yourself and make mm. sure that that story serves the the source material and is authentic to that universe that you're wanting to tell the story in. Yeah, I think the fans get annoyed by things, 100%. even with the big budget ones, when they're just not following the source material or they're deviating way too far from There's it. There's a certain studio produced Halo 
series out there that was completely deviating from the source material. And there is a reason why it's had so so much of a backlash as it's gotten. Yeah. Um, And that's case, that's like a perfect example of how not to do something set in a pre-established IP. Yeah. Because you can tell your own stories. This is the thing. This is why I wanted to do Halo film, right? Is you can tell your own stories that you create from scratch using brand new characters from scratch within this universe. If you want to make a fan film, you can make your own stories Mm. as long as they are fitting within the pre-established universe. Yeah. Because if they feel too different, if they feel too disconnected, then you're going to run into similar problems that that TV show had, which is you're alienating the fan base because they're watching it for something that it's not. Mm. right you're watching it because it's got the face of something that you love but underneath it's not it's completely different and it's something that just it feels a bit feels a bit um cheap yeah cheap and like you're not really just it doesn't feel well researched yeah and authentic all the producers of the show said that they didn't even play the game so that was a bit that's how you know so mistake number one right there but that's right so that's great tips um where can people find you jack so I've got Instagram, YouTube, Containment Media, Jack Harvey Media. Um, I'm sure Deb will put the I links will put below. I will put the links in the, in so the show notes. So go and go and find me and say hi. <laughs> I'm a friendly guy. <laughs> Jack, it's been wonderful. Thank to you talk so to. much. Um, it's been a pleasure to be in your film as well, yeah. and I'm sure we'll 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 do some more next year. Hundred um, percent. And I'm, I'm super pumped. Guys, share the the short film. Watch it. Enjoy it. This was Creative Constitution, and we'll catch you in the next one. Bye. Bye.